This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. As Malaysians, we're often used to complaining about the terrible outdoor air quality, especially during the hay season. But COVID-19 has taught us that it's just as important to pay attention and do something about the air quality inside our homes and buildings. I recently spoke to Dr. Jenny Su Hui-Jen, Distinguished Professor of Environmental Health at the National Chengkung University in Taiwan, on her work studying indoor air quality and how we can improve things here. Here's the first part of our conversation, where she started by sharing a bit about her work and how she came to research air pollution. Uh, very briefly, um, as you have mentioned, uh, my uh, current task is of teaching faculty uh, at the Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. And I came from the background of a public health person, but my thesis was dedicated, again, very much or totally to the area of how indoor air pollution uh, and its relation to health consequences. So in general, uh, my original sort of uh, uh, taking in uh, doing the public health research was in the area of looking at how the environmental pollution, environmental exposure are affecting the human health. And I think to the most part of our understanding, we tend to um, come away with well, looking at the polluted air outside of our window or mm-hmm. for a plume coming out of the um, the the or the um, you know area that you see. But I think one thing that has brought me to looking into specifically focus on the indoor area was looking at or approaching that from the total exposure. Um, and that uh, is connected to how we estimate the risk after we are exposed to environmental pollutant. So if you look at the activity profile mm-hmm. that any general uh, you know, uh, environment, we, we, we tend to now stay more and more inside of some form of the built environment. Okay, it could be at home, at your gym, at even indoor swimming pool, or you will take some public transportation that is underground or in train or in airplane or in your own car. Mm. So if you take a detailed profile, activity profile of any of us, any uh, typical uh, individual uh, out of the 24 hours, I think roughly more than 85%, uh, 90% sometimes, it depends on the age group, um, we will be all staying at indoors. Mm-hmm. So if you look at from the health perspective, the exposure or the pollution that we experience or we are exposed to at some form of built environment will tend to add up to present a greater risk, right, for our uh, health outcomes rather mm-hmm. than the outdoor Outdoors. stuff, and that triggers you know, our study design, our um, analysis, and our approach in understanding for further how the uh, total or collective exposure that we come from a, uh, indoor environment will result in uh, the health risk uh, mm. in general, or finally, yes. Mm. So you know that's what... the, mm. the whole rationale. <laughs> Hmm. You talk about outdoor pollution, I think people think things like haze or, or, or smoke and things like that. But when we talk about indoor, what kind of pollutants um, are we talking about? What kind of hazards are there when we talk about indoor pollution? Well, it can vary from the general sort of uh, irritated symptoms. 
they are often related to some form of uh, chemical sensitization sometimes, or our allergy to the denders or other uh, sort of uh, fine particles. And often you could uh, try to imagine some of the emission coming out of our decorated material, our furnishings, mm -hmm. our, our wardrobe or our fra uh, fragrance, or um, the uh, uh, essential oil now very, very prevalent mm -hmm. in, in many environments here or there. And further, you could also try to picture some form of interactions between the uh, sort of uh, active oxidant and then with the chemical that's already there could generate a secondary pollutant including finer particle like at the level of PM 2.5, PM 1, uh, 1 micron or some type of secondary chemicals that out of these interactions with everything that inside there. Again, now we are more familiar with all these airborne microbes, including bacteria, virus, mm. you know, they are circulating around our ventilation systems and so forth. So if you look at uh, the uh, spectrum of the pollutant, they are likely to reside at our indoor environment, really could go from the physical form mm -hmm. of the fine particle to the chemical form of all the um, uh, chemicals that we apply or the fragrance um, or volatile uh, material that we keep in indoor environment and also the biological form of the pollutants, right? Um, mm. Including the allergic materials uh, from the animal dangers or, uh, or saliva, stuff like that. And then once they are suspended in the air, they become some, some form of indoor uh, airborne uh, materials. So, so it, it's really covering uh, a wide spectrum of the pollutants and, and far more than, than we can imagine, and, but it's everywhere from mm. the primary form into the secondary reaction. And later they are quite uh, sort of readily available and readily present uh, almost in every spot of your indoor environment. <laughs> Yeah. Mm, it's all the things that we can't see, isn't it? Right, right. And so so I think you, you asked about what kind of uh, sort of health uh, impacts or health consequences. Mm -hmm. so typically, the irritated symptoms could be one. And then or uh, in the uh, longer term, if you accumulated some type of exposure over a long period of time, we see people developed into asthma or the other chronic disease. And also, and I, and I think now people are uh, more uh, knowledgeable about the presence of the microbes. Mm. If, uh, even with a shorter time, they could trigger infection, you know, with one uh, short, you know, uh, contact or exposure. And, and uh, that can be very, very severe and then lead into irreversible uh, consequences that um, you know, in the form of infectious disease or the other even more fatal outcomes. So this is probably quite easy for people to uh, imagine or to appreciate um, the, the um, existence of all these indoor pollutants and as well as the consequences they might be uh, leading to in terms of health outcomes.
Mm. Do you think that the rapid urbanization, especially of, of indoor built environments across the world, has that sort of worsened indoor air pollution and, and that, that mixture of biological, physical and chemical pollutants? Right. I think definitely so. You know, you try to try to picture this uh, very, very easy, easily understood scenario. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, we might have a space built originally for the use of 10 people or five people. But with the increased density of uh, a, a, a populated uh, area or the use, the increasing use mm -hmm. of indoor spaces for other functions, so we might uh, convert or we might put in 20 people, 30 people to a space that initially was only designed with ventilation for 10 people, mm. right? So along with the intensified accumulation of human activity and the other metabolizer pollutants coming along with our activity, you tend to accumulate and then concentrate it, right? Those pollutants, which were hard to uh, go through proper ventilation to go out and mm. therefore accumulated and, and then concentrated indoors and later then increase their concentration and with higher exposure for us to, to experience. And that's often how we can come to appreciate a, a likely and, and always uh, happen worsen situation with um, uh, indoor uh, sort of quality uh, nowadays that, that we see. And that, that's a typical example. Mm. So mm. ventilation and activity aside, are there any other factors, Prof Su, that increase the likelihood of poor indoor air quality? I think so. For instance, I think the uh, installation of mm. uh, a more or additional uh, electronic units and sometimes other uh, devices uh, in the early days, uh, we come to realize that the, uh, the along with the increasing units of copier, you know, the copy mm. machine, uh, mm -hmm. Xerox machine and so forth, there will be emission oh, wow. out of all those activities. So with every unit of devices or in, uh, 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 materials that you install inside, we tend to uh, bring along a different forms of potential indoor indoor uh, indoor uh, pollutant into our built environment, and therefore you increase the complexity or the diversity of the pollutant that we are exposed to in the built environment. So um, the civilization, human activity, our increasing reliance of uh, many different forms of uh, uh, devices would definitely uh, raise the possibility of higher in uh, indoor uh, pollutions. We'll be right back after a quick break. You're listening to a conversation I had with Dr. Jenny Su Hui-jen, Distinguished Professor of Environmental Health at the National Chengkong University in Taiwan. Keep it here on Health & Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health & Living with me, Lim Su An. I recently caught up with Dr. Jenny Su Hui-jen, Distinguished Professor of Environmental Health at the National Chengkong University in Taiwan, speaking to her about her work researching indoor air pollution and how we can improve things for ourselves in our own homes and buildings. Here's the second part of our conversation where I started by asking her about measuring air pollution levels. 
Is there a way for us to measure indoor air pollution then, Prof Su? You know, like similar, we're all very familiar with how we measure outdoor pollution, for example, right? But for indoor, is there any indicators that you would look at? We tend to suggest or advise people uh, to, uh, whenever possible, uh, follow the guideline that the designer has specified. Mm. For instance, we often would suggest that with the proper management of your installed ventilation system and the other uh, sort of uh, uh, design, you we one should expect a reasonable uh, quality, indoor quality to be maintained. So that you um, you often will see uh, either uh, a suggested sort of capacity level for any specified room. Okay, mm-hmm. this room is mm-hmm. uh, des- designed for the use of t- 10 people or 50 people. For that, we are assuming if everything is under proper management and control, that particular design, uh, specifically ventilation system, should provide you with adequate ventilation and therefore reasonable level of carbon dioxide. Mm. So carbon dioxide is usually an easy, convenient surrogate to indicate whether that specific area, that built environment is properly managed and then providing us with a reasonable quality of indoor, a reasonable indoor uh, quality. So that's usually a good surrogate. Mm. But again, um, with all this uh, development of technology, science, and the other uh, engineering uh, sort of efforts, we now have more and more convenient, uh, readily available real-time sensor Mm -hmm. that will monitor uh, uh, necessary chemicals or uh, the other volatile components that should give us a good sign whether the particular room is under uh, 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 a good management and, and giving us good environment. One thing that makes it hard is a biological part. Mm. Okay, because biological does has this vitality and the diversity that uh, comes along almost at, uh, at, at, at all times. So that remains uh, a challenge. Mm-hmm. That remains the greatest challenge for, for us to, to make sure that this is a, a sort of bacteria-free or this is a, a, a virus-free environment unless you are in you know specific medical setting that uh, undergone that that you know uh, go through or managed by a very very uh, uh, um, uh, rigid and uh, strict guideline. So mm. that, but again, uh, that's a, a, a special case. That's not what we are talking about in the general environment. Mm. So uh, looking at a good surrogate whether uh, carbon dioxide level is in proper condition is often uh, a useful indicator, convenient indicator for us to at least uh, um, have a reference whether mm. this is a good and proper environment. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that, Prof. Su, I remembered all the, so many people learned about the using carbon dioxide as a surrogate during the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic. People yeah, here yeah, were yeah. buying their own um, yeah, measurement yeah. units uh, right. to, to, to have a look. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess, could you briefly touch on that? You know, what, what sort of numbers are we looking at, for example, if you use carbon <laughs> dioxide as a surrogate, right? I mean, what yeah. is a measure yeah. of good ventilation? Uh, what is the potential measure of good ventilation? 
Okay, I think two things that people can really go further to look at these issues are uh, around different parts of the world and even specifically in Taiwan, mm-hmm. we, we will offer, or we could offer a general number, for instance, if we have a you know, average for, for a typical regular, you know, uh, general environment, we, we could suggest maybe for a, our average level mm-hmm. uh, of a uh, thousand or, uh, you know, 1000 PPM uh, will be fair. Okay, there's a general guideline. But again, this I strongly recommend this will varies from specific environment one to, to the other. You might want to go a bit more cautious or stringent about the uh, more sensitive or uh, we call uh, vulnerable group. For mm. instance, you know, uh, young age um, children. Or, or people in the, um, you know, uh, natal care, mm. right? Or those uh, people that are particularly aged or people who have uh, chronic disease, who are in care center and so forth. So even in their general activity room, you like to think they would um, be uh, in need mm. of a higher level or better or, or even greater uh, protection. So a situation like that will require uh, good judgment um, uh, for, by the manager, mm-hmm. uh, by the uh, uh, care provider, and also by the health professional looking at the specific um, requirements or any um, specific conditions mm-hmm. that is applied to that um, particular cohort or particular group of uh, people of our interest. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk about what can be done then, Prof. Su. Um, you know, what changes can we make, whether temporary or permanent, to building spaces, for example, to make um to reduce the likelihood of bad indoor air quality to improve ventilation, right? Yeah, I th- there are some general principles that people are are now uh, actually adopting quite well. I think um, even uh, uh, places like Malaysia, Singapore, uh, these uh, countries where we have a lot of uh, colleagues pl- uh, uh, and then uh, professional who over the years have uh, research and have uh, concerned on the issues and come up with a bit, quite a number of practical uh, recommendation for the use of general public. Mm-hmm. In general, I think uh, carefully look at where this particular uh, uh, built environment is located and positions. For instance, uh, you like to uh, properly place you, the intake of your outdoor air in the right sort of uh, direction, mm. uh, uh, along with the um, uh, wind uh, direction. For, uh, let me give you a very, very specific example. Mm-hmm. If you have a wind uh, intake of outdoor, outdoor uh, air, mm-hmm. directly position or tour where um, waste site processing plant, right? And then you look at the wind direction, prevailing wind would take those output uh-huh. from that particular side toward your, in, your outdoor intake. Now, this would definitely really you know, bring you the worst scenario because whatever you do indoor, 
however level of cleaning activity you do would never, never, right, mm. um, uh, offset or balance out those contaminants that you already bring into the system. Mm. So we open suggestions and 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 any uh, projects. First of all, properly position your uh, building or your home, <laughs> your construction. Um, in the old days, this is very typical. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a good building and, and a good design. Nevertheless, the, wind, the, the intake of the outdoor air was totally positioned in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's uh, a, a story that often happened before. So number one, you know, properly position uh, the, the site of your, your environment so that you have the best possible uh, outdoor air intake and later uh, carefully design mm-hmm. the demand of your uh, residents. You know, how many people t- are performing what type of activity, okay? So likely that you need to account carefully the total output from the population itself, the resident itself, along with the, the uh, pollutant generated from those activities, right? A heavily uh, uh, processing plant is definitely from a, 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 a general use of the home. A particular type of office environment whose densed by dozens of computer, by dozens of printer, mm. or sometimes of other devices will be different mm. from a room that is designed for recreational use. Mm-hmm. A painter's studio will be different from a musician's studio, right? And uh, so, so it really, Depends. so the second point is mm-hmm. look carefully what type, what's the level, the capacity of the uh, population that you intend to bring in. What type of activity are going to perform indoor? And then sketch out the potential pollutants coming out qualitatively and quantitatively mm. along with you know, the, the size of the people, population, and the type of activity performed. And then also do the best you can to select the environmental friendly and healthy materials, green mm. materials that are uh, sort of free of uh, volatile or free of uh, sensitizer or are less sort of... Uh, um, likely mm-hmm. to present the secondary material or pollutants over the use or, 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 or over the years of our use. So that will be critical as well. And then finally, it's a clear and very uh, 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 stri- strictly and rigidly follow uh, management program. We have gone through many investigations on the um, uh, you know uh, indoor uh, air um, episodes, mm-hmm. where we look at the uh, blueprint of the des- original design, perfect, mm-hmm. okay, and um, seemingly uh, the material uh, were the best, okay, and the use and functions and everything would seems to be you know all under the guideline. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, the management team. We're not going through the routine that was in place 
in the very beginning. For example, the frequency of changing your fi- filter. Mm. Okay, the type of uh, sort of uh, uh, ventilation that you impose in every hour. You know, you could shut down the ventilation so that you have less burden on energy to bring the outdoor air into the proper temperature temperature or into the proper humidity. It requires extra energy, right? But it is that regular and that uh, necessary ventilation that you perform all the time will give you at least the basic level of dilution mm. between indoor air and outdoor air. Now that's assuming you don't have a particularly awful outdoor polluted <laughs> sources. If mm-hmm. you know, that's another scenario. But in general, in most of the civilized society or the community that we experience, that you could rely on good, proper, and properly performed uh, regular maintenance and uh, a ventilation level that is already suggested by your mechanical engineering or the mm-hmm. other designer, that you could maintain a good, reasonably good indoor uh, air quality uh, to the benefit of not only our health, but to many extent, our comfort. Mm. So that's important as well. Mm. And if I'm not mistaken, Prof. Su, we have international guidelines as well, right? That are offered okay. to countries and, and, and people yeah. to, right. to put in place. Right, we do. I think around the world, um, um, probably we happen to be the second in mm-hmm. the world, we, we, we could have been the first, but <laughs> we end up being the second. Uh, uh, formally have the Indoor Air Quality Act in the country. So with that, they give a very specific guideline as well as standard for people to work. In Taiwan? Uh, to, to, in, in, in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. There's a, such one also in Korea. And mm-hmm. I think in terms of a country level, mm-hmm. we probably are the two most uh, aggressive as well as uh, sort of uh, uh, in, in, the, in the level of legal uh, uh, seriousness, uh, this is a, something in the form of an act. So you actually could have the penalty for mm. those who are not meeting those standards. So it's, um, it's at the level of proposed and then governed standard rather than just a suggested recommended guideline. Okay, there's a difference between just uh, a suggested guideline and, and a standard. So in Korea, in Taiwan, we do have that. But overall, WHO give good guidelines mm. for those uh, good-hearted <laughs> citizens <laughs> or, or, or uh, law-abiding citizens, uh, well-intended citizens to, to follow and to really um, uh, govern their environment or to manage their environment. Um, and Health Canada has one, mm. and then US EPA regularly uh, changed, and along with the new knowledge and new discovery guidelines for indoor air quality by state in California, Illinois, Texas, Pennsylvania, over the places on the state level, they would uh, promulgate and they would uh, endorse their uh, uh, guideline or uh, suggested uh, management program at different level, um, either for occupational environment or the general environment, New York, Washington, DC as well. So I think if you ask me whether there are scientific scientific information for people really Mm -hmm. uh, 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 use or adopt or rely on 
for their own benefit and to manage their program? I would say yes. They are all over the places. Um, I think there are quite a few uh, people working on this in Malaysia as well. Uh, so it's not the lack of information, but it's a matter of how far do we go mm. to uh, sort of uh, make sure uh, those guidelines are carefully adopted or seriously followed. And then later, then you will rely on sometimes a uh, uh, government um, uh, issued mandate standard to trigger the entire ecosystem or the industry to further their uh, provisions or their support or even their uh, sort of overall critical mass to uh, secure or to sustain, sustain uh, the type of indoor environmental quality that we should um, aspire for. Mm. Yeah. Um, to round up our discussion, Prof Su, what would your takeaway message be to the average person out there as well, right? Because there are things that governments can do, that building managements can do, but what about you know what we can do as individuals to um, do our part when it comes to maintaining good indoor air quality? I think uh, well, I, I often would say um, you know, personal uh, management would always help as well. Mm. So uh, if we can minimize um, the uh, level of uh, 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 indoor installations or indoor uh, sort of uh, uh, decoration at any form that we could, that would help as well. And in any time, be aware of how we can uh, best maintain a reasonable average level of ventilation and, and make sure that uh, contribute uh, together collectively on a, a better outdoor environment because that will eventually <laughs> benefit the indoor uh, program and be uh, knowledgeable whenever mm. we can about the materials we select and then uh, uh, try to keep our environment at a reasonable temperature and humidity because humidity is a level of intensify different types of pollutants. Sometimes it weather out all this electric cord or the other uh, devices or decorated material mm -hmm. so that the volatile uh, sensitizer or chemicals would then be uh, coming out from those uh, uh, deteriorated materials as well. And that's what we found typically in the uh, uh, higher humidity region and country. So uh, we had uh, provide those guidelines for people. So start with the uh, better knowledge on the personal level, uh, 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 more uh, cordial management <laughs> of our uh, program, and then later on to uh, support a better uh, ecosystem altogether so that we can uh, collectively secure a general better indoor environment every place. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Prof. Su. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. That was Dr. Jenny Su Hui-Jen, Distinguished Professor of Environmental Health at the National Chengkong University in Taiwan. I'm Lim Suan, and this has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.